Thanks, Alex. So, um, you know, um, I love Proverbs, so we're going to, before we get into today's text, I'll give you a quick proverb, um, 22 verses 1 and 2. Check this out. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. So today we're in um, the second in a series that we're calling Unwind to Unwind Twisted Scripture, looking at some of the most bird-nested scriptures that are out there. Bird-nested, if you've been fishing before and looked at one of these, you can see that is a tangled mess, and that happens with some scriptures. In fact, people who don't even know God can quote some, some scriptures, and the meaning and the understanding of them can kind of get bird-nested. And so last week, we talked about, um, we talked about one. This week, um, this week, I'll get to that in a minute. Next week, I'm going to talk about Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to bless you and prosper you, not to harm you to give you a hope and a future. One of my favorite verses, and maybe you like it too. Good verse, right? Everybody like that one? Well, the thing is, um, we're going to find out that that verse doesn't mean exactly what you think it means. But before you throw away your mug with the verse on it, you know, I'm going to tell you that you're going to like it better after we get done um, than, when we, than, than right now. So today's verse, um, I think, is probably the most quoted uh, verse... Um, quoted by non-Christians, book or verse in the Bible. And it's really very popular to be quoted also by Christians. Matthew um, chapter 7, starting in verses 1, well, excuse me, verses 1 and 2. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. You, wait a second, usually people say that with, with attitude. Do not judge, you know, or you too will be judged. And usually it's, it's actually usually in the King James, you know. Come on, work with me on this. Judge not! You know, right? Lest ye be judged, right? Have you ever heard a non-Christian use the King James version of a... It's kind of, kind of makes me chuckle. I'm glad they know the Word of God. There's some... That's good. Um, and and I, I think people who don't even believe in the Bible believe that verse, and they say it with attitude. And, and so Jesus... These are the words of Jesus, actually. If, if you have a paper Bible, most translations show... It'll show up with red ink. Jesus said, you know, do not judge or you too will be judged. Verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, what culture would tell us is that this scripture tells us that you have no right to tell me how to live. I'll do what I want to do with my life. You do with what, what you want with your life because you're a sinner too, but don't tell me. It doesn't matter what I do as long as it makes me happy and it doesn't hurt anybody. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Don't judge or you're going to be judged. And I'm going to argue that I, I, I think that this is one of the most pervasive um, beliefs, values in our culture today. Not in the church, but I believe it is one of the most common beliefs that we're supposed to tolerate everything. And that's, that's coming from this judgment. Every, we're supposed to tolerate every kind of behavior. We're supposed to tolerate every kind of belief system. You've got no right to say if something's right or wrong. Do not judge or you're going to be judged. It's, it's no fun to get judged, right? Anybody here ever been in, 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 incorrectly judged? Just me. <laughs> Come on, I want to see hands. Anybody here ever been judged? Okay, all right. See, it hurts. I mean, I could give examples and stories here, and you probably could too. It's just no fun. It feels terrible. But I believe that this particular issue is probably the number one issue that drives non-Christians away from Christianity. I think this is probably that Christians, you know, they think Christians are so judgmental 
that we're so narrow-minded and um, that we're hypocrites and we're judgmental. Jesus said, when, when Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged, what exactly was he saying? What exactly was he saying? Because if he was saying that we're never ever to judge, if he's saying we're supposed to accept without judgment everything, whatever kind of behavior or belief system, if that's true, then you've got to acknowledge some things like, you know, no school teacher has the right to judge any assignment. Who are you to say that was an A or a B? I liked my paper. Judge not. <laughs> you could try that if you're a student, see how that works for you at school. I mean, but nobody, if that's true, no jury has the right to ever hold any person accountable for any crime. You know, who are you to say I'm innocent or guilty? Don't judge me. Or, let's go a little further, you know, if you're, no police officer has the right to tell you you're on the wrong side of the road. I'm sorry, officer, I like this side of the road. Who are you to judge the way I drive? I like it over here. <laughs> is, is that what Jesus was saying? That we just, um, I don't know. I, I think that we would all agree that, that, that probably at some level, maybe we're allowed to judge. So we've got to figure out what's going on here because these are the words of, of Jesus written in red. I mean, I'm going to ask you a couple of rhetorical questions to consider. Don't answer these out loud. And this is intentionally meant to be a little tricky, okay? So, um, I mean, do you have the right to judge somebody's funny haircut? You know, I can't believe, look at that girl's hair. I mean, it's like, (laughs) I mean, do you have the right to judge that? Do you, I mean, you know, if you're sitting next to, don't don't do anything, just look forward like you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. (laughs) You know, what, what, if, what if it's your kid's haircut that is really funny? You know, what if they want to have a four-letter word shaved into their haircut? Do you have the right to judge that or to say something about that? Or what if there's some random guy at work and um, he's, he's married, but he seems to flirt a lot? And you don't really know him. Do you have the right to say to him, hey, dude, you know, you're married. Stop it. You're, that's wrong. Do you have that right or not? What if... What if what if the dude at work is your best friend and you know he's a Christian and he's married and he's flirting or he's in your small group? Do you have the right to say, hey, come on, stop it? Or are we never, ever supposed to judge? Here's one. Now, this is offensive probably to many people, the topic itself, but, but our culture says, basically wants to teach that anybody can have sex with anybody else. Who are we to judge? You know, what exactly, you know, we can, you know, who are we to judge someone's sexual life? Okay, so it's a taboo subject, but that's what our culture says. So what if somebody wants to have sex with a 12-year-old? Do we judge that? Is it okay? Is it not? What if it's your 12-year-old? Don't, these are rhetorical questions. Don't answer out loud. <laughs> Don't throw anything at me. I can see some of the people in the church starting to shake. You know. Okay, so this is complicated and it's important, really, really important that we figure this out and that we get this right. Because, you know, judge not or you too will be judged. What exactly does that mean? Do we never have the right to call somebody up and say, you know, that's just, that behavior just that doesn't work. That's not right. Or do we sometimes have the right to do that? It's complicated and it's important. Last week we talked about um, in this series, we talked about how do we accurately interpret? How do we accurately understand the verses of the Bible? How do we do this? We talked about three things, a quick review here. Number one, we said we need to understand the context. 
because to take a text uh, out of context, that's manipulative. To take something out of God's word and attribute something different to what God is saying, I don't think God likes it when you know, people put our words into his mouth for our, to serve our purposes. I mean, so we don't want to ever want to just uh, take a, something out of context. We want to study the context. We've got to figure it out, okay, okay, what's going on in the passage? What's going on right before? What's going on right after? Who wrote this? Who is he speaking to? Um, what was the purpose? What was God's intent here? Who, what, why, where? All that kind of stuff. We don't want to just pull it out of context, and we never, ever want to take a single verse out of context and build a theology out of that. Instead, um, you know, we want to see what else the Bible says about that topic. We want to, we want to consider for, the, for, for this kind of a decision what the entire counsel of the Word of God would say on a topic. And without regard to what people sometimes would accuse it, the Bible does not contradict itself. It doesn't. If you study the Word, you'll find that it does not contradict itself. So we want to look at the totality of God's word and the full counsel. So we want to, we want to, we, we want to, number two, we want to interpret scripture with other scriptures. We want to interpret the Bible with the Bible. What else does the Bible say? And so we'll see what else is on that theme or on that topic. And then number three, we're not just to be students of the word, but we should be doers. We need to apply what we learn. You know, the Bible is not just so much a text to read, but it's, but it's actually letters to us that kind of guide us and instruct us how to live. So to accurately interpret, we want to understand the context, we want to interpret Scripture with Scripture, and then apply it to our lives. So in our text here, Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, what's the context? What's going on before? What's going on after? Who is he talking to? Why? Et cetera, et cetera. So here's, here's a broad um, overview of what's going on there. This is, it's in red letters. If you get to the chapters before and the chapters, what's going on there, this is all in red. This is one long discourse by Jesus. And, um, and, and you'll find that this is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And there's a lot going on in that, in that passage with Jesus. He's, 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 Basically, he had departed away from the crowd, and he's talking to his disciples, and some others might have tagged along, but primarily he's talking to leadership people here. And um, you'll see in this passage things like the Beatitudes. Um, You'll see the Lord's Prayer. But you'll see many, many issues of the heart that Jesus is continuously pursuing after. He'll be talking about them. And and beginning in significantly in chapter 6 and going on into chapter 7 is where we are. One of Jesus' big themes is he keeps talking about hypocrisy. He keeps talking about hypocrisy. He calls out the Pharisees, you know, you hypocrites, and he keeps giving them as examples. And in chapter 6, verse, I won't read them, verse 2, verse 5, verse 16, he keeps dealing with hypocrisy. And then we get into chapter 7, and he's still dealing with hypocrisy here. And it continues in, in our text, uh, Matthew 7, starting in verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged for... With what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, will be measured back to you. Goes, he continues. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Do you see he's talking about hypocrisy? Do you, you understand here? So okay, so the context here is for hypocrisy. Verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. <laughs> Jesus was very direct sometimes, okay? Uh, First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Later on in that very same chapter, the theme of hypocrisy, you're going to see it keeps going on. He talks about some even more dangerous hypocrisy than this. It's starting in verse 15. Beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. People who pretend to be something, but they're not. Wow. Verse 16, you will know them by their fruits. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. You think Jesus is teaching here how to grow apples, right? He's talking about hypocrisy. He's talking about people, dangerous people, false prophets. Verse 20, therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Jesus says, watch out, be on guard, be aware of false prophets, hypocrisy. Hold on a minute, Jesus. If I'm not allowed to judge but I'm going to be aware of false prophets, what do I have to make? A judgment. i got to make a judgment that that person is not from God. In the very same chapter where Jesus says, judge not, he suggests we need to make a judgment. In fact, he actually teaches us how to make that judgment. Very clearly here. Jesus is not telling us that we should live without discernment. He is not telling us to live without discernment. He's not telling us that we never have the right to speak into the lives of other believers. He's telling us that we should be very, very careful and never judge hypocritically. And notice that Jesus says this. He says, he says first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly. Why? Why do I need to see clearly? He goes on. To remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's not telling us to hold ourselves back. He's not, he's, not, he's not telling us to not help our brother to see more clearly. In fact, he tells us specifically here to help other Christians with their problems. He's telling us that. But, but we're not going to, as Christians, we're not going to pick everybody apart, you know, when we've got our own problems. That's the whole point here, hypocrisy. Look in the mirror first. Don't pick apart other people's little faults when you've got great big ones of your own. That's what Jesus is teaching here. He's, he's saying, don't judge hypocritically. That's the context of the judge not scripture that is so commonly, you know, and, and we want to try today to interpret the Bible with the Bible, and let's see what other verses say on this very important subject of judging. Boy, this room's quiet. Four different things that God's word clearly says about, you know, judging. What's clear about judging? Number one, teaches, Jesus teaches us that we should never judge superficially. Jesus says, never judge superficially. The thing, the thing is that almost all of us do that. You know, pretty, pretty, I mean, some of us do it pretty often. And here's, here's what Jesus says in John 7, verse 24. And this, again, Jesus talking, he says, stop judging by mere appearance and make a right judgment. So if you have conducted your, your theology thinking, Jesus says, you're never ever supposed to judge anyone. You've got to deal with this issue. He says, make a right judgment. He's telling us here. Do you see that? Literally, he's saying, make a right judgment. Whoa. Jesus is telling us there is a time to judge. But when you do, do it accurately and do it correctly. And please don't do it by mere appearances. I mean, I, I, I'm, I have a store I like to shop in, and I, was, you know, I struggle with not judging by mere appearance because there still are some styles that just shock me. Still, I mean, they shouldn't. And I, don't, I, don't, I try not to make any personal assessments, but there's a story I like to shop in. And um, I just was in there the other day, and I go in too often. And, and there was a, a, a girl who was the clerk behind the counter that you pay, a pretty girl. But she had long, really beautiful long hair, but she had shaved half of her head. <laughs> now, listen, 
It's just an asymmetrical, I don't, you know, it's just not my deal. And her, her lipstick was black. And I'm thinking, you know, it's a pretty girl, but that's distracting me. It's kind of scary. That's me judging. I'm, I'm doing exactly what Jesus says not to do. I'm making this superficial. She's probably a really sweet girl. And I've talked with her and so forth, but um, I do. It's human nature. I'm not telling you to do what I did. It's, it's something that Jesus is dealing with this heart. I'm just being transparent with you because I think we do that. I think we do these superficial judgments, and I don't think it makes... But even Disney has figured out that human beings are really superficial, and we make all these assessments because of what we see. So um, they have a standard where Disneyland cast members, their employees, are required to be clean-cut looking. Okay, so here, this is from their policy. This picture is from their policy, and uh, they only recently started allowing their cast member, their men employees, to have facial hair. And you can see there's a good show, and if you look carefully, you'll see that's Mickey's hand in a glove with a thumb up. Good show, says Mickey, and bad show, says Mickey on the bottom. Good show are these top beards, and the bottom ones, it says chin hair. I can't read it. Chin hair only. Yeah, that doesn't work. Apparently no soul patches in Disneyland, and I don't know what the extreme style is, but, you know, and then, and then there's even a different look if you, um, um, the second one, put the second one up for me. Okay, bad show and good show. Bad show is stubble or a chin strap or a non-shaved neck. Okay, so, I mean, they've got their standards because human beings make these assessments. And they've figured out what will make people think this is the happiest place on earth. Here's the policy. Let me read to you the policy. All mustaches, beards, and goatees must create an overall neat, polished, and professional look. They must be fully grown in, neatly groomed, and well-maintained no longer than a quarter of an inch in length. I don't know what, um, you know, three-eighths means. Something terrible. Male Disney interns and program participants wishing to have a mustache, beard, or goatee should arrive with their facial hair fully grown in. Partially grown in stubble or facial hair with hairless patches is not acceptable. Facial hair cannot be grown during working periods. I wonder what happens if you come in right at the limit at a quarter of an inch and your hair grows that day at work. <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, I chuckle about this. I, I'm, I, I see, I think as a company, they have the right to create their own environment, and that's, there's nothing wrong with it. But the point is that they're on to something. Humans judge by appearance. They make assessments about whether their children are going to be safe, apparently based on the way somebody's beard looks. Humans do it. Jesus says, don't do that. Get past that. It's really, really easy for us to be judgmental of somebody else. We've got to be really, really careful you know, well, that rich guy, the way he spends his money, just don't go there. Don't go there. You don't know how they spend their money. You have no idea how they use their money to help people. You just really don't. Just don't go there. You know, or, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I like her. I don't know if I like her. She's pretty stuck up, you know. Hold on. You've had one interaction. You don't know what's going on in her life. You don't know her mother's in the hospital, her dog had to be put to sleep, her layoff work. You don't know what's going on in her life. How about a little bit of compassion and, and, and something different, you know? Here's one that I've heard in my Christian years. Um, you've probably heard this too, where people will start talking about, you know, a pastor somewhere or a church somewhere. And, um, you know, my comment to you about that is, do you know that person? Do you, do you, have you met them and spent time with them? 
Because listen to me, as a church, as a church, I think we need to be for people who are for God. Just simple, for people. We're not going to judge people from a distance. You know, we're not, we're, we're going to give people the benefit of the doubt. We're, we're going to believe the best, and we're not going to judge people by mere appearances. We're going, we're, going to, we're going to believe in people, we're going to trust in people, and we're going to believe the best about people. Exercise good judgment. And Jesus tells us that we should never judge superficially. Paul also teaches us, this is our second point, is that we should never judge hip, hip, hypocritically. Never judge hypocritically. And so he's talking to um, the Roman church, the Roman believers in Romans 2, verse, starting in verse 1, he's telling them, he says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you're just as bad, and you have no excuse. <laughs> when you say they're wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. So he's talking about people who are being really hypocritical. And then verse 4, his tone changes, and I love this. This is God's grace, verse 4. This is God. This is God's grace getting in here. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? In other words, why are you picking them apart? God's really been gracious with you. And you think you're perfect. God's waiting for you to change. <laughs> it's what he's implying. He says, does this mean nothing to you? Can, can't you see that, that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Romans 2, don't judge hypocritically. And here's what we kind of tend to do. We tend to accuse other people, but we excuse ourselves. You know, Oh, did you hear what they did? Man, I just can't believe that. And th- but then when we're confronted, well, hold on a minute. You really don't know. I mean, you have no idea what I faced and what was going on. And that really wasn't me. That's not who I am. I mean, we tend to accuse other people, but we excuse ourselves. And, and sometimes, you know, where we place our harshest judgment can be you know, our own deepest weakness. Sometimes our harshest judgment is pointing really at our own weakness. I mean, I've been in the ministry now for decades, you know, and before I was here, and even still now, occasionally I get a call from somebody somewhere up the food chain who says, hey, would you mind going and visiting such and such church? There's a little bit of a squabble going on there. Can I see if you can help, help them get their sea legs, so to speak? And I'll go, and occasionally um, there's a squabble about money, how the money in the church is being spent. And, you know, people are humans, and people have different judgments and different opinions and different philosophies, and all that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I don't think that we all have to agree all the time on whether we're going to get yellow pencils or black pencils. I, think that, I don't think Jesus cares um, what color the pencil is, um, as long as things are being done above board and honestly and so forth. But sometimes I'll get to a place and there seems like there's a fight over money that goes beyond the circumstances. I mean, the reaction is out of scale to the issue. And I've learned just from experience when I see that and I see one person who's just got a real ax to grind over some small issue, I've learned to get them alone and listen to what they had to say, but then to ask some probing questions. And here's what I seem to find an awful lot in those circumstances. I'm giving you a peek here of what sometimes goes on in in, in an unhealthy deal. Many times I've found that the one who's complaining like crazy about how money is spent in the church, they don't tithe. They don't trust the Lord with their money. They have opinions about how the church should spend money, but they use that as an excuse for not putting their own trust. I mean, it, it, it can be so common that the areas of our harshest judgment shows the areas of our own weakness. 
And over and over, the Bible tells us that if we're going to correct other people, we've got to be very, very careful because we may be tempted to sin in that same area just as well. You just, just never judge superficially or hypocritically. Then number three, and this one is really, really, they're all important, but I just really want to jump on this one with both feet. We never hold non-Christians to Christian standards. Did you know that? The scriptures give us no right to do that. We never hold those who are outside the family of God to our internal family standards. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 5. He said, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? (laughs) Okay, there it is. In other words, you know, if they're not Jesus' followers, who am I to tell them how to live? That's none of my business. Then he says, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Now, toward those who are believers... You know, we're charged by, in this location and in other locations in the Word of God, to show love to them and to help each other, you know, as iron sharpens iron. Several scriptures um, tell us how to consider how to motivate and, and um, um, one another to love and good deeds. You'll see that Hebrews and, and Galatians 6 tells us to restore that person gently. I mean, there's lots that tell us how to deal, uh, deal with, with people in the family, but it's a different story. Those scriptures do not tell us that we're to tell people who are not Christians how to live. Family rules. I, 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 some of you know my son Joseph. He's um, he's just everybody's friend, and he's um, he's a little bit of a prankster. I'm pretty sure he got that from Lisa because I'm so stoic. I don't kid around at all. And um, anyway, so he had a, he had a close friend that he he said, "Hey, um, I'm going to have my friend come over and watch the Super Bowl." This is a number of years ago, and I said, "Sure, yeah, I do that." And so it was just going to be Joseph, his friend, and me, because Lisa could give a rip, and, and I don't know where everybody else was. So, um, you know, we got the big screen going, and all the stuff's going on, and we're getting ready to watch the Super Bowl, and I'm pretty amped up to see the Super Bowl, and, and I'm, I'm doing my stuff. Now, I didn't know what Joseph was doing with this guy, but the game's getting closer, game's getting closer, and I'm in the kitchen, which is around the corner, can't see the screen, and I'm making popcorn. It's popping, and it's not right then. I can hear stuff getting ready to go in there, and pretty soon the national anthem starts, and... <laughs> and um, and uh, this guy's name is Dan. I won't give you his last name. And, um, but anyway, so, um, so I, I, I'm hurrying up now because now this national anthem's going, and I'm, I think I've got to get in there. My popcorn's done. Get it done. And I, you know, it's, listen, if you do the national anthem and you go fast, it's a minute. Um, maybe they, they take two minutes. To do. So 30 seconds into it, I've got to get in there. I've got to get in there. And I come around the corner with my popcorn, and here's Dan standing at attention. <laughs> Joseph's over in the corner with a smirk on his face. And I said, what are you doing? And okay, so, so afterwards, Joseph tells me this. He says, well, um, the national anthem started. So Joseph turns to this guy and he says, he says, hey, you better not let my father catch you sitting down during the national anthem. <laughs> He'll be really ticked. <laughs> Joseph made that all up. I'm just like you, national anthem of my home. I'm eating popcorn in the stadium. I stand up. Maybe I should stand up. I don't know. But Joseph tried to convince this poor guy that we had a family rule and he better not violate this. I mean, okay. So I'm thinking until I was a, you know, I don't know if he he ever straightened that out with this guy. This guy probably thinks I'm nuts. Um, But we have no right. We have no right to require family rules to be pressed into those who just have not said, yeah, I I want to be held accountable to what the Word of God says. If somebody's outside the family of God, We just do not hold them accountable to Christian family rules. It's not our place to judge. 
And I think that this is probably the number one reason why so many Christians, non-Christians move away from any pursuit of God. They've just seen hypocrisy and it just, the judgmentalism, um, and they're thinking, you know, I, I've seen you people. You're not perfect either. And um, here's what I would say to you about that. God loves them. He loved me when I was a sinner. He loved you when you were still a sinner. He'll, he'll, get, he'll get there. He'll get into their heart. It's his to do, not ours. It's just not ours to, uh, God, God will judge those outside. That's why at this church, at this church, we really want this to be a place where anyone can embrace Christ. Anybody. You know, there could be people in this room today, and I'm sure there are. We have them every week who come, and, and they're just not followers, but they're curious. And you're not a follower. I don't want you to know. You're welcome here. You are welcome in this place. We want you here. Here's, here's another way to say this. You don't have to believe in order to belong in this group. I didn't say join the church. I'm not talking about official church membership. I, you know, we don't press that here. We, we, at some point, we'll give opportunities for that because I think it's important. But I'm saying you don't have to believe to belong in this room, to belong with this group of people who love you and care about you. You know, you, you can belong before you believe. I'd say it another way. You can belong in this, you can belong here among us before you behave the way other people think you should behave. How's that? That's how Jesus was. He, he went to people who were doing some pretty crazy things. They were pretty nuts. They were pretty, pretty sad in their state of life, uh, doing bad things, and he loved them. Jesus loved them. But he didn't leave them there. It's Jesus who changed them, not other people who changed them. So here's the key. The, the key. You know, I, I'm never anywhere in the Word of God called to change people outside the family of God. I'm called to love them, and I'm called to introduce them to a God who will change them. That's what I'm called to do. The same God who's changing me has the ability, and it's really, really important that we get this right. So, you know, to people who are, you know, doing something, and it's, you know, challenging, and you're doing something, or you're addicted to something, or you're, you're, you've got some sexual things going on in your life or you've got a temper or you just don't know what you believe about Christ. Here's what I want to say. If, if, if you're seeking the truth and if you're seeking, you know, if you're honestly pursuing him, you are welcome here no matter what your issues are. No matter what. I don't care. You're welcome. And with all of the rest of us sinners, me included, you know, who are basically here saying, I'm trying to move towards Jesus. You're absolutely, completely welcomed and loved and, and invited and embraced. I think that the thing is that we can all just step towards Jesus together and, and then let him transform us into who he wants us to be. So we're not going to hold people outside the family of God to standards of those inside the family. God will deal with them. And so our, our, we have something different. It's really, really important that we get this right when Jesus said, judge not, or you too will be judged, he's not telling us that we don't have the right or we don't have the calling to speak into, into other people's lives. In fact, we're going to learn here in a minute that um, there's a time when Christians are supposed to come in and help other people. So Bible, what the Bible says about judging is don't judge superficially, don't judge hypocritically, 
Don't hold people outside of God's families to live according to God's family rules. And then number four, this is really important too, always help other believers who have fallen to be restored. Always help other believers who have fallen. And the reason that this is really important because this will be you at some point. This will be me at some point. It's really important in the family of God when somebody strays and that family members come and they say, you know what, you know, we love you so much, we just, we just don't want you to go down this road and we want to help you. And we have to be willing to help other people and have to be willing also to be corrected and led by other people to do that. So here's what Paul says in Galatians 6, starting in verse 1, and this is really important. He says, brothers and sisters, hold on. So this is directed to the followers of Christ, right? You understand, he's talking now to believers. If someone is caught in a sin, hold on a minute here. Okay, who are you to say it's a sin? Judge not. Who are you to judge a sin? Okay, who we're talking to here are, these are followers of Christ. These are people in the family. And we all agree in the family that God's word is truth. And so we're going to try as best as we can, live according to that. And if a family member is living contrary to God's word, you know, what do we call that? We call it, we call it sin. Sin. Is that word politically correct? Not so much. We don't hold other people outside the family, but this is an internal family thing. So, so, so what do you do? What do those who live by the Spirit do if a Christian is going contrary to God's word, if they're in sin? Do we gossip about them? Do we kick them out of the church? Do we kick them while they're down? Do we you know, shoot the wounded? Of course not. Of course not. So let's read on. He says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. I love that. Restore them gently with the same grace, with the same love that you'd like to be shown. Sounds the way, you know, we restore with the same grace that God gave to us. Same love, the same compassion, same grace. He goes on, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. This is so important because the moment that we start to correct other people, you know, we become pretty vulnerable to pride in those moments. We really do. And pride comes before a fall. The moment you start, you, you really need to be wise. You really need to have great discernment. Then verse 2, it says this, carry each other's burdens. How do we do that? How do we carry each other's burdens? Well, we just take burden off of them. We love them back. And Scripture says, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We always help restore fallen believers. I love that. Same grace that forgives us is the same one that we use to restore others. And, and this is really how we're supposed to do it in the family of God. We don't, we don't pretend like it didn't happen. We don't, we don't kick people out and shun them. We love them back into fellowship. And if somebody is caught in a sin, we call it a sin. And it may not be that popular in culture today, but it's a sin. We don't kick the person down because guess what? We sin too. We do. We love them back gently, praying that they could be restored. And more than that, we pray that they not only would be restored, but their place in the kingdom would be expanding and growing and bigger afterwards than it was before. And the reason we do that is because that's the kind of God we serve. That's God's heart. God's heart is life. It's, it's, it's restoration. It's forgiveness. It's healing. We love them back gently. 
And how we do this? Well, how do we do this? John 1.14 tells us, it tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He came full of grace and truth. And I notice when I read, you know, I've noticed some funny little things when I read that, you know, um, the word, that word grace, charis there, um, it came first. Now, I, I don't want to make theology out of this, but I, I wonder why God decided to put the word grace before the word truth. I think possibly because, you know, if without grace, sometimes the truth is really hard to digest. It is for me. Grace makes a big difference. Um, <laughs> I have a granddaughter named Grace, and she thinks when we sing words, sing songs, and the word grace is in the song, you know, that's me, you know. <laughs> God came full of grace and, and truth, and... Um, and I think, you know, t- many times in the church world today, you know, there can be all truth and no grace, which absolutely drives people away. You know, you got to behave like this. That's not right. Bible says you got to do that drives people away when it's all truth and no grace. And, 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 and when there's all truth and no grace, it also leads, it pushes people into rebellion. I don't care what the word says. I'm going to do my own thing. And that's, you know, people bolt. On the other extreme, it's all grace and no truth. Oh, God loves you. Okay, Sarah, whatever. Do whatever. Who am I to judge you? All behavior is equal. All beliefs are equal. When there's all grace and no truth, that somehow grants license to behavior that will destroy that person. It hurts them and whatever they want to do. Jesus came full of grace, which it's that loving kindness that draws people to repentance, and he came full of truth. Both. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, he said. And as we become agents of grace and truth and love and forgiveness, and Jesus told us, and this is back in today's text, and I think that this probably, I would hope you would take this away. Don't, let, don't miss this last part. He said in verse 2, with the measure you use will be measured to you. With the measure you use It'll be measured to you. I was doing some cooking yesterday and it called for a certain amount of chocolate and a certain amount of coconut oil. And, and I'm thinking, I'm not really much of a cook, but if you don't measure those things out properly, you don't get what you think you're headed towards. I'm thinking, I like chocolate, so why not double it? <laughs> Doesn't work. I was trying to make some cookies and they're weird. <laughs> Measuring is important. But consider this. With the same measure you use, it's going to come back to you with the same kind of measurement. Now, in the future, when the moment comes and you need forgiveness or you need mercy, you've done something that deserves a response or you need grace, how would you like it measured out to you? Would you like the dispenser of grace to come up to you with an eyedropper and give you a drop of grace? Or would you like them to stand like this with three people behind them holding onto a hose and bracing themselves as they open up the gushing fire hose of grace? How's that for a religious sounding? Gushing fire hose of grace. Would you like an eyedropper full of grace or would you like to be hosed down with grace? Because however you give it, that's how you're going to get it when you need it. 
When the day comes that you need forgiveness, if you've withheld forgiveness, you're going to get this little tiny sliver. But if you want to give it, if you want, if you want to get it in me- measure, you have to measure it out in big quantities. When it's mine to grant grace, I like to back up the dump truck and let her buck. Take all the grace. I want to smother you in grace. Because when my day comes, I really don't want the eyedropper. Take that part. Take that. Take that consideration. With the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Now, I want to tell all of you something today. All of you. And I need to emphasize the word all. In my time of prayer this morning, I know the Lord stopped me on that word, all. Every one of you needs to know that you are included in this, all of you. God wants all of you to know this. He is offering all of you mercy and grace today. Today, right this moment. Now that might sound mystical to you. I'm not trying to be hocus pocus. I'm just telling you, I know I was visited by the Lord who said, I want my people, all of them to know I'm going to visit them today with mercy and grace. And mercy and grace today comes in the name of the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to ask anybody here to join the church, but I want want you to receive the mercy and grace that the King has for you today. I'm going to pray over us in just a minute, but I want to explain something before I pray. If If you're already a follower and you've spent some time reading the Bible and you know God's word, you already understand this. But if you, if you really haven't spent a lot of time in the Bible for a long time or maybe never, you may not know this. But God loves us like crazy. The idea of a God who needs a virgin thrown into a volcano to make them happy is nothing like the creator of the heavens and the earth. That is not who God is. He loves us so much that he could see our, our propensity to fail, to judge wrong, to sin, to do things. You know, no matter how hard we try, sometimes we're selfish. And those issues all, all, frankly, would spoil heaven if they were allowed to enter into heaven. That's why people can't get to heaven by being good. We can't be good enough. That's what scripture teaches and it's simply true. God loves us like crazy and doesn't want us not to be in heaven. And so he said, okay, you're all going to die at some point. The scripture says it's, it's appointed unto man to die and then the judgment. And God makes a judgment. What happens in the judgment? He loves us so much that he wants us to be with him forever and eternity. And so he made a way. And that way, he sent his son to pay the price for our sin that whoever would believe on Christ, whoever would believe on Christ, would be saved. Scripture says, all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. And that confess with your mouth doesn't mean you stand up in church and say, I confess. You can do that. But I'm not asking you to do that. It's kind of weird. I did that. I did that on Easter Sunday. I went in front of an entire church and I went down to an alternate church and I said, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. And I got saved. I opened my heart. Said all who, and so I know, I know, just like I know I got a driver's license, I know when I die, I will go to heaven. I do not face hell. And so 
I'm going to pray in a minute. And if anyone here wants, some of you do, we do every week. There are people that you want to get right with God so eternity is resolved for you. Scripture just says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. I'm going to pray. There will be a moment in the prayer when um, I'm going to give, uh, I'll bring this up. And if you want to open your heart to the Lord, just just make that decision and receive the gift of salvation, of, of, of eternal life. And the confession is just nothing more than telling somebody you've opened your heart to the Lord. That's it. So eyes are going to be closed. People aren't going to be looking around, but I'll look to make sure. And if you, I think it's good for you to tell somebody, and I'm just as good as the next guy. You don't have to tell me, but if you want to, in that moment, just look up at me. Just If I don't see your eye, make eye contact. Just give me a little one of these. Like, and I'm, that's, I'm not going to embarrass you or do anything else. I promise I won't embarrass you. So would everybody close your eyes and, um, I, and just agree with me in prayer. Father, I just want to first ask that as a church family, that your spirit would help us to really live this scripture well. This judge not so that we'll be not judged. Lord, that, that somehow we be a reflection of your love to people outside of the family. And that God, inside the family, inside the house of the Lord, inside with other believers, may we treat each other with grace and with truth, Lord, loving each other back to a place of righteousness. I want to pray, Lord, right now for those who don't know you and they're in the category of all, all that you are offering mercy and grace to today. Some of us, Lord, know you and we need mercy and grace for the things going on in our life and Lord, including judging people we ought not to. Forgive us for that, Lord. Help us to be, help us to be salt and light. Your word calls us to be that little tiny bit of salt and a whole bunch of light. And Lord, I also want to pray right now for those who don't know you, but they would like to have their name written in the Lamb's book of life to know that when they die, they'll be with you in heaven. And I just want to pray, Lord, right now that as your spirit speaks, that they would sense your love and your desire, Lord, not to join a church, but to, Lord, to join relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth, to call on the name of Christ and be saved. While eyes are closed, I'm just going to look across the room now. If you want to make that decision, if you've made that decision, just kind of let our eyes meet. Okay? All right? God bless you. Lord, I want to thank you for decisions made to be right with you. Scripture basically paints a picture that when even just one soul is saved, that there's an awful big celebration that happens. Lord, the price you paid was worth it, even if it was just for one. I just pray, Lord, for, um, for those who have opened their heart to you today to be full of life, that you would put into their pathway friends who know you that can help them grow in relationship with you to be full of life. We pray these things in Jesus' name.